0: You are listening to the podcast from Isaiah Church. Stay tuned it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message.
1: Our scripture reading today comes from Mark 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair. With a belt around his waist, he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was the message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of his sandals I am not worthy to to stoop down to untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen
0: amen welcome great to see all of you today a couple things before we get going first of all it's february which means it's black history month and so just want to take a moment to acknowledge and to celebrate the the contributions of black americans in our nation in our church and in my life so we're better because of you we're we're greater because of you so just want to say thank you i hope you feel seen and known and acknowledged all, all month long so yeah very good uh also if you uh if you missed our marriage event this weekend you missed a really good time and maybe you saw that like kind of rave looking thing we were doing in that that room back there and it was a fun time to dance and I think some dudes who hadn't danced with their wives since their wedding uh got to dance and we were wheeling in the oxygen machines and some towels to break the sweating some guys pulled their pulled their hamstrings but it's okay it was all in the name of love it was all worth it so Uh, It was a good time. Yeah, if you're like me and you go to the grocery store, and by the way, let's just acknowledge if you're me and you've gone to the grocery store, it means that things have gone extremely wrong in your life. It sounds like a stereotype, but it's true because it would mean that mom is out of town or mom's sick. And so dad is forced out into the wild to hunt, to, to forage for food in a desperate attempt to keep the kids alive, you know, and the kids, maybe this is true in your home today, or it was true when you were growing up, growing up, or it's true still of, of your, your mom today, uh, our kids like it way more when mom goes to the store than when dad goes to the store, because mom comes home with way more goodies than when dad goes to the store, when dad goes, he only goes through what's exclusively only on the list and so I'll say this even though they like it way more when she goes they like it way more when they go with me because I have done this I've literally timed myself to see how fast I can get in and out of HEB how fast I can only get what's on my list so if you're like me and you go to the store getting only what's on your list you may be tempted to break your personal code when you come to what's called the point of purchase Display. That's a little area. It's the danger zone of the checkout aisle where they put the candy, where they put the cards, where they put the Pokemon cards and the mints and the gum and all that stuff, so your kids can pester you all while you're in line, and you can display all that you have learned at one of our past parenting seminars, no doubt. But uh, you know, but along with all that stuff at the point of purchase display, there are also all those magazines in the checkout aisle, and of course, the, the magazines have all those completely true stories. They are all about the facts and nothing but the facts of a, your famous, you know, your favorite celebrity who's perhaps broken up with a, their fourth boyfriend uh, this month or whatever. Uh, but what gets my attention the most, and maybe you've seen this, are the magazines that are always on sale about the person of Jesus of Nazareth. They're always there in the checkout aisle. Look at I mean you can find these they're always there. There's, there's a Jesus, yeah, there's life, there's a you know, National Geographic, the, you know, Jesus online even. I mean he's everywhere, right? A real Jesus except He's not quite. Let's just say this. He's a little pasty, you know, for what he probably would have looked like. I'm not sure that's the real Jesus, but um, you know, the list goes on. I mean, there's always newspapers, magazines, uh, uh, stuff, with little books for sale about Jesus, and it's not just limited to Austin or Texas because you're in the South or even the U.S. Some of you have seen this if you travel internationally. You're always seeing the same uh, magazines and airports and newsstands and grocery stores all around the world. And I looked it up because I'm like, man, is this is you know what's the deal with this and this This is true, actually, that magazines that put Jesus on the cover experience a more than 50% spike in sales. A little bit of a cash grab, yeah. But because they do this so often, and there's so much written about, so much ink spilled over the person of Jesus, it can be tough to know what and who to believe. And, of course, this is true in life as well, right? I mean, it's always tough to know who, who and what to believe. Carrie and I... We've lost count of the times, for example, that our kids have come home from school and they got the latest rumor that's been downloaded to us about what's happening in the halls of the middle school, right? They're like, mom, dad, can you believe, and this is my favorite one recently, they said there's a kid at school with a $40,000 gaming computer, like $40,000, that's amazing. Well, what does he play on it? Well, he said he can't play on it because uh, he's had to put it in storage, storage i was like that, that's tough like what's the kid's name i don't know you ever talk to him don't know who he is i'm like you don't know who he is you never met him no he said but my friends just told me there was a kid at school with a forty thousand dollar gaming computer they swore it was true <laughs> of course if you're a parent this is where you launch into the speech about what not believing everything you hear or you read and so if that's you when it comes to the person of Jesus and you said, you know, man, I, I'm here. Somebody brought me here today. And by the way, we're glad you're here. But if, if that's kind of like wh- where you are with the person of Jesus, you've seen stuff uh, written, you've heard stuff said, or you watched the show on Netflix, or your professor said this in your university class or your friend said something to you. And you're saying, I know I'm not supposed to believe everything I hear, everything I read, but it sounds so, so compelling. If that's you, I want you to know here today, I hear you. I hear you. And even more than that, this brand new series today is for you. And someone named Mark hears you as well because his book, his writing is for you today. It's for the modern reader today because this person, Mark, as you may know, Mark was the author, the writer of one of the four gospels, the four accounts of the life of Jesus in what Christians call the New Testament. And what's so amazing about Mark's account is that not only is it the earliest gospel written, and we know this, by the way, because of the last 100 years of scholarship that's decisively, permanently overturned the previous 200 years of sort of false claims that the gospels were written More than 100 years after, 150 years after the life of Jesus. Because now we know that they were written, especially in Mark's case, within 20 to 30 years of the life, death, resurrection of Christ. And this has led, if you pay attention to these things, and I do a bit, to a number of dramatic faith reversals, including Anthony Flew. He was a famous atheistic philosopher. Anne Rice, she was the author, he is the author of the, the Vampire Chronicles. That's the Brad Pitt vampire movie. You know that one. Someone named A. N. Wilson. A lot of you book nerds may know that name. He's a hugely influential literary critic. He wrote for years, years, book after book, why you should not, cannot believe in the person of Jesus, but all of them have now reversed course and said you can trust the Gospels, especially Mark's. Why? Well, because in his own way, in his own way, Mark is saying here, we're going to see it, that just like when it comes to the middle school locker room rumors, you can't believe everything you hear about Jesus. So Mark's is, Mark is writing it down from the eyewitnesses so that you can know What to believe. Mark did this, the gospel writer Luke did this. He said, We're getting it from the mouths of the eyewitnesses so that you can push past all the stuff. Maybe your professor said, or your again a teacher said, or the PBA guy on PBS said, or the actor has said. All of whom we should point out have lived two thousand years after the people who were really there. So now you can just read it for yourself. Hear it from yourself, for yourself, from the people who were really there. So what if you today, what if you today, here's my question, what if you today, like maybe Anne Rice or A.N. Wilson, Anthony Flew, all A names, kind of weird, maybe if you've got an A name, that's, you're, you're headed in the same direction, right? But if you, like a bunch of other really smart, really educated, but maybe skeptical people, you just looked at this story through fresh eyes and heard from those who were there, who the person of Jesus is, what might happen. This is my goal over the next few months leading up to Easter. I want to try to show you what the ones who were there saw, what they said, and what it really means. And so we're going to be moving through the book of Mark, dividing the book up into a kind of a trilogy as we go for all you movie lovers. This month we'll be seeing Jesus as the man who acts. Next month we'll see him as the God who heals. And then finally we'll see him as the king who suffers. So today we're going to begin in act one, scene one, episode one, chapter one, verse one, word one. We're going to see Jesus, the man who acts in the gospel of Mark. What do we see as we begin our journey? Well, first of all, like in any good movie, we're going to see a dramatic beginning. This is a dramatic beginning in Mark. Look at chapter one, verse one. Mark begins like this. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. What's Mark trying to show us? About 10 years ago, 10 years ago or so, uh, as of last month, uh, Carrie and I were living in Nashville, a little more than that, living in Nashville, and we got the call, the call, from Dr. John Lloyd, one of our elders here, asking us if we would consider relocating back to Austin uh, and taking the position of lead pastor here. And it was an incredible opportunity, and it was an incredible risk also. And some of you, you've maybe experienced that kind of thing professionally because we had a stable position there. Looking good there, a great job there asked to come back here when the church was at a low point. And in between the time we had moved there and gotten the call to come back here, two things had happened that affected our decision, one way or the other. First of all, we had bought a home there. Yeah, kinda of roots you there. But number two, you may remember that back in two thousand eight and nine there was this little bitty market crash. That happened where everybody's retirements took a big hit, everybody's housing values plummeted, and Nashville got hit especially hard. But when we got that call and and we prayed about it, we felt like as best we could, best we could tell, that our Heavenly Father was saying, say yes, say yes to that call, take the job, move back there, and sell your house in Nashville to show people in Austin, you're all in there. So we did it by the time it was all said and done and we sort of choked down our pride signing the papers to sell that house and maybe you've done this at some point we lost every penny we had saved over the previous 10 years of marriage we moved back here into the sight unseen rental house no credit with our stuff our clothes on our back no promises from God just a word in our heart saying you need to do this and so we went we said he we knew he was telling us to go and to lose all for him in the going now you can call us crazy. You probably should so that was not a wise financial decision it's not Dave Ramsey approved and you'd be right pretty foolish and listen we don't always get this kind of thing right we made plenty of mistakes and I don't tell you this like you'll do the same thing wives don't blame me today all right I say well Morgan why are you telling us this I'm telling you this to try to show you how Mark is saying people ought to react to Jesus if Jesus is who Mark says he is, how people ought to react to Jesus if Mark says he is. Who does Mark say he is? He says it's the beginning of the good news about who? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He says Jesus is Messiah which, or Christ. That word means like nothing to you. Some of you probably thought Christ was Jesus' last name. Or like his middle initial was H, like the curse word the dude in the locker room said, right? But Christ is just a Greek word, uh, the version of the word Messiah, which literally means anointed one. A kingly reference, uh, because kings were anointed. Kings had oil poured on their heads to show they were the one. And so Mark is saying Jesus is the anointed one. He's the king. And in case you were confused, like, is that really what he's saying? He follows it up immediately with the term The Son of God, so there is no mistake. This, Mark is saying, is the beginning of the good news about the King, the Son of God. Then Mark does this strange thing. He immediately dials up a a kind of a callback. He picks up his phone and he dials up an ancient Jewish prophet named Isaiah. He puts that phone up to Isaiah's mouth and asks Isaiah to speak into the story of Jesus. Here's what Isaiah said as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I'll send my messenger ahead of you, head of the Messiah, the king, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So Mark puts Isaiah on the phone for two reasons. Number one, because he's about to introduce you to the kind of person that kings always had. Mark's about to introduce you. To the herald. The herald. And that's John the Baptist. Because kings always had heralds. Someone who would go before them to announce the good news. Of when, the, when the Greeks would win these battles in antiquity. For example, at the Battle of Marathon. They would send heralds out to announce to the people. You have been freed by the king. So Mark is introducing the herald of the king. Because kings had heralds. But with quoting Isaiah. Mark isn't just introducing a herald. He's also confirming a hope, a kind of a hope. What's that? In quoting Isaiah, a Jewish prophet who wrote a long time ago about the one who would be king. Mark is confirming what he believed to be true because Mark was there. He's saying this, Jesus is every longing you've ever had fulfilled jesus is every longing you've ever had fulfilled once you actually once you personalize personalize this would you read this say this out loud with me if you're comfortable to say jesus is every longing i've ever had fulfilled why is this you say well listen when you read not only what isaiah said but all the jewish prophets said and when you read what the first christians said about their experience of jesus you'll see why they said this you like to party for example do you Read what the Bible writers say will happen when Jesus comes again. Amen. Banquets, food, wine, laughter, feasts, friends. You like pleasure? Oh, all right. Read what the Bible writers say. It's really like to fall into the arms of Jesus for forever. Let one touch from him goes beyond description. You're saying, that's kind of taking it far. No, no, no. Why does God use the same word used to describe Adam's knowledge of Eve? As to the kind of knowledge he wants you to have. Of him, huh? You have a passion for justice. Look at what the writers say. The anointed one will be. He won't judge by what he sees with his eyes. He won't take a bribe. He'll do what's right. Nothing will escape his sight. He'll put all things right. You like art? You like literature? You like music? Jesus is the fulfillment of 150 Jewish songs called Psalms All Come True. And Mark says that that one, the anointed one, the king, has broken into the world. It's dramatic. Oh, now how do you react? How do you deal with, how do you respond to a person like that? I'll bet if you were convinced that's who you were were dealing with, you might sell your house in Nashville. (laughs) You might lose everything for his sake. You might take that job, say no to that job, break off that relationship, do that thing, do that. Mark shows us a dramatic beginning, a rock tossed into the pond of the world. Stuff's got to move. There's a new king coming into the world. The world's about to change. Which means if this is true, and it is by the way, not only is there a dramatic beginning, oh, but secondly, the other side of the coin, Mark shows us also, An abrupt end. A dramatic beginning which brings about an abrupt end. Because you know this, when something brand new begins, it means something old ends. And I want to show you now, in light of this, four implications. Four things that end because of the coming of Jesus. Four things that end. We're going to move through them quickly. First of all, this is for you college students. And by the way, welcome back. Uh, This is the, the end of philosophy. Because Jesus has come, it's the end of philosophy in a way. And here's what I mean. Over the centuries... May not know this, or you may know it. Philosophy has been a battle between two sides primarily the ideal and the real. What's supposed to be and what is. It looks like universals versus particulars, stoics versus epicureans, conservatives versus liberals, moderns versus postmoderns, 49ers, chiefs, <laughs> Conor McGregor, cowboy Saron. Just kidding about those last two. Just seeing if you're still there. But if Jesus is God come in the flesh, here's what it means. It means the ideal has become real. It means we don't have to wonder anymore who God is, what he's like, what truth is like. It's all come in a person jesus jesus second it also means the end of religion end of religion because when mark says this is the beginning of the good news he's drawing a massive line in the sand firing a shot across the bow of every other faith system because every other faith system is built on giving advice giving advice obey the ten commandments in judaism follow the eightfold path uh, in buddhism do the five pillars perhaps in islam honor your ancestors confucianism do your filial piety make your sacrifice in your folk religion or do whatever you want in the religion of atheism that's a religion in its own way see all of these are built on advice advice do this and you're good do that and you're a bad person but mark doesn't say this is the beginning of the really good self-help advice about Jesus. No, he says it's the beginning of the good news. And news is not something you do. News is something that's been done. And Mark is saying this, oh, something brand new is coming into the world. God is connecting with people, not on the basis of how good they are or can be, but on the basis of how good he is and will be. Christianity isn't discouraging News. Oh, discouraging advice. Excuse me. It's joyful news. Not discouraging advice. It's joyful news. Third, uh, the coming of Jesus means the end also of fanaticism. Fanaticism. When you hear something like this preached, maybe some of you are getting understandably nervous because you don't want to become are you like you saying? am i gonna to have to become one of those fanatics like a person who's real mean real angry judgmental i have to like vote for this or that you know or one of those people who lack compassion or hold up signs in the streets saying that god hates those people even though jesus yeah he said his, his heavenly father sent him so that he could show us that god sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. So listen, people who are fanatics hold this thought to be true. They believe they have done a good job obeying and a better job obeying than you. They're a good rule keeper and because they've done a good job, it allows them to feel superior to people who haven't kept the rules as well. And when you feel superior to the people around you, now it allows you to condemn those who don't measure up. It allows you to keep your distance and therefore condemn because there's no relationship oh but if i remember what the beginning of the gospel is which is that a person has come to do for me what i cannot could not do for myself that changes how i see myself right how can i feel better about my moral performance or look down on others therefore if i'm a fanatic and i have some kind of cultural superiority even racism i'll lump it into this category a person's only that way because they haven't gone far enough with jesus Not because they're with them, because they haven't gone far enough. The solution is not to move away, it's to move closer. Because when you move closer, you have to truly embrace the beginning of the gospel, which is that you and I can only be saved by radical grace. Fourth, oh, the coming of Jesus also means the end of neutrality. Neutrality, and maybe you saw this one coming, and it's kind of another uh uh-oh, because if Mark is right, and the king, the son of God's come, and therefore, in its own way, philosophies ended, religion's ended, fanaticism's ended. In a kind of a way, Mark's kind of got us boxed in here, right, with Jesus? Because what's left for a person to decide except to make a decision, a kind of a decision for or against A person like this. Now, this can take time, I understand. We'll look at that in depth next week. How patient Jesus is. How relationally uh, long-suffering he is with us. How loving he is with people struggling to decide for or against him. But he he was still here. We've got the inescapable feeling of being pressed to decide. Why do we struggle with this? About a person like this. Here's why I'll try to put it like this. Set it up. I love, probably you do too, going here. I love going here. Sorry, it's not supposed to be commercial, but it's just what it is. I love coffee houses. doesn't have to be them, but you know the little the, the girl in the green uh, logo there. But besides the coffee, what I love and what you really love there, but this isn't necessarily the coffee, what you love there are the baristas. You love the people. You love the baristas because those people are amazing. And by the way, if you're a barista, any coffee place, thank you. We love you. Thank you, first of all, for being patient with us, especially me. Because when I go in there and you go in and you see the sign, it's like 75 different things. And I don't know what I want. What's the weather like? How do I feel? How much coffee have I already had? Right? I stare blankly at the sign until you guide me down a personalized path towards glory. I see a few hands going up all around the room right now. Right? So here's what I have to say to you on on behalf of a grateful nation. I love you so much. It's shameless Austin plug there, right? Because you make us sweet, drizzled, frappiated, mocha-fied, hot or cold delights, provided we can pay the $5, of course. But the money isn't the thing. It's the personalized, individualized experience of why we come in there, why we pay through the nose. So here's the thing. Let me break it down for you. Let me try to put what Mark is saying now in a way you can understand, maybe. Jesus is not your barista. He's not mine. He's not yours. He's not ours. Because the beginning of the gospel is this: that Jesus, the King, the Messiah, the Son of God, has come and come to make you coffee. He's come to change your life. That's what kings do. And now, oh, now here, getting real nervous. Change life, kings. Man, Morgan, isn't isn't the actual record of kings deplorable? Yes, yes. So how can we know that we can trust? jesus as king huh well it's not just because of what his radical beginning is not just because of the abrupt end he also brings but third in the end it's because of the unlikeliest of futures that mark shows us about this king right from the beginning mark drops this tremendous hint about the kind of king jesus is going to be because those first words mark wrote in a way weren't written by him at all when mark writes this the beginning of the good news about jesus the messiah the son of god he's actually directly quoting referencing on purpose a famous roman inscription from 9 bc just a few years before jesus was born it was written about the roman king augustus do you know what that inscription said it says this the beginning of the good news about augustus Mark is immediately comparing the kingship of Jesus. Man, it's like that callback, right? I mean, if, some, if, you, if, if, somebody, if he were to write here, man, for all you Gen Xers, stop, collaborate, and listen, <laughs> you would know he's making a reference to something else. Oh, every person in that I knew that's what he was doing here. Because Augustus, he was the son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar claimed to be a God, therefore, Augustus was the son. Of a God. Oh, but when now Mark quotes these words from Isaiah, he's showing you how different a kind of King Jesus is going to be. He says, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. When kings would travel in antiquity, maybe you know this, roads would need to be constructed. They were called highways. Highways would be made so the king could travel through. And once a king had decided to, to visit a region, roads and highways were prepared. But, but if there were a, like, a, like a rock formation or a chasm on the way, the builders of the highways would have one of two choices. They would either have to go around... Or they would have to go through. And of course going around would be far, far easier, but if the command came make his paths straight Well that was harder. Because do you know what it would demand to make those paths straight, to mine the rock, to fill in the valley or chasm? Oh, to make the paths straight for a king would demand slaves, lots. And lots of slaves. Lots of slaves to mine out the rocks, fill in the valley. So is, is, that, is that what kind of a king Jesus is going to be? One who turns people into slaves? That's what kings do. That's what Augustus did. That's what kings did. No, no, no. Mark drops a hint right here. If you'll catch it, that shows that this king is utterly, utterly different. When Mark uses the word way here, it's the Greek word hodos, which after this Mark uses almost exclusively to refer to another kind of a way that Jesus talks about. Jesus' way, Jesus' road, not to a throne, not to a palace but to the cross, to the cross. In a case it wasn't clear enough what Mark's doing, that word for paths, it's got a double meaning in the Greek. It's a pun play on words Mark is making because that word path doesn't just mean paths. It means trauma. Mark is saying, make straight the path of pain this king will take. Make straight the path of trauma he's going to go down. And Mark is showing us that unlike every other king, this king hasn't come to take your life but to give his own for you. He's showing you from the beginning the kind of king Jesus is going to be right from the beginning of the gospel. We're shown this king hasn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, as a payment for in the place of many. Right from the beginning of the gospel, we're shown not Jesus as a nice teacher, not as an inspiring figure, but as savior, sufferer, lord, and king. What kind of a king is this? He's the king who's come for you, and for you, and for you, and for you, all for love. This is the beginning of the gospel. He's the man who acts into the world, who will live the life we could not live, die the death we could not die, to defeat hell, defeat death, defeat sin, defeat grave, defeat Satan, to win our hearts back to him. And this, this, this is the beginning of his story. And I hope you'll come on a journey with us to find out the rest. And so I hope you'll come back for this next week and find out that what he does next is he actually calls us to follow him. Follow him. You and me to follow him. And he promises us he'll make us into the kind of people we were always meant to be all along. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.